Welcome to the HR Uprising podcast. This podcast series explores HR hot topics and challenges through conversations with relevant experts and real-life HR learning and OD professionals. The HR Uprising is about learning through collaboration and evidence-based action. We want colleagues to have the confidence and skills to rise up through their organizations by delivering real, lasting business value. Now, introducing your host, chartered psychologist, experienced change agent, entrepreneur, speaker, and coach, Lucinda Carney. Hello, and welcome to this week's HR Uprising podcast. And this is the second in our series of real HR professionals. The first one with Paula Jones a couple of weeks ago went down so brilliantly. Um, and I'm sure that you'll find this one with Daniel Bailey brilliant as well. But before I go on there, we've got a couple of weeks left of August um, in order for you to take advantage of the early bird booking rate, which is 50% off our normal fee for the brand new Change Superhero virtual training course. Um, you may have heard me talking about the, the face-to-face one, which was kicked off in April. Um, clearly now we've morphed it into a virtual one. And actually, I think it's going to be even better this way because it's going to allow us to work with a cohort of people over a succession of modules. So there'll be two to three hour modules. Um, obviously, you get a copy of the book and also you get 360 feedback. I'll be running it personally. So as I'm sure you'd agree, change is here to stay in our organisations, possibly a different level of change as we work out how to uh, deal with a sort of hybrid workforce. So if you'd like to polish up your change management skills, um, you know, work with a bunch of like-minded individuals, then why don't you consider joining us on this virtual HR change superhero virtual change superhero training course Um, I'll put the links on the website as ever so you can go to hruprising.com if you want to find the links really easily they'll be in the show notes and they're on the website so I hope to see some of you there there's a handful of courses um, and I'm really looking forward to running it in the meantime listening to this week's real HR episode hello and welcome to the second in our real HR series My name's Lucinda Carney and you're listening to the HR Uprising podcast. So this week, I'm delighted to have another member of our HR Uprising LinkedIn community, Daniel Bailey, to join us. You're joining me from Bristol on a very hot day, aren't we? We're both (laughs) commenting on how warm it is. (laughs) Yes, thanks for having me, Lucinda. It's a great opportunity to, uh, um, you know, come and share experiences from the wider HR community. Yeah, it's really lovely to have um, to start at this particular um, topic. Quite a few people were really, really complimentary about it because, as we were saying earlier, often um, it's nice to hear real stories. There's lots of thought leaders out there, but actually everybody's got a story to share and, um, you, know, or, you know, ourselves included. And I think often it's really nice and more accessible to hear from people that we consider to be more like our peers. And that's the purpose of this this series. And I suppose with that in mind, Daniel, do you want to give us a little bit of an introduction to who you are maybe as a person first, and then we'll go on to your career? Yes, yeah, so uh, a person first. So I'm, a, um, again, I've got a daughter who is uh, six. Um, so relatively new new dad, not an expert, although I don't think anyone becomes an expert at being a, a parent. Um, but walked in the general sphere of HR probably since 2006 I think um started off like most people um you know at the you know admin section I actually fell into HR because I started off doing um 
technical support for a broadband company to start off with, which was very, very bizarre. And then a, a role came up in HR and uh, I thought, well, that's something different. Working with people, it, the job was closer to where I lived and applied for it and, and, and got it. And then um, got a bit so more So purely opportunist, was it? Yes. You didn't know that you wanted people in people? Or was it you were more peoply and you were in a sort of more techie support role was there something you, you weren't keen on that made you yeah decide to look for it? yeah I mean again it was also there was a convenience factor it was my first employer was was Clark's and I lived in where Clark's is based at the time so it was a there was a bit of a convenience factor in there but I was genuine genuinely interested in um, you know people in HR uh, I did some components of it when I was at college um you know the interest the things around you know particularly around I think disciplinary and grievance I actually found quite interesting I don't know if that's a bit of a um you know you, you know being nosy or trying to resolve people's problems I think you can probably find it's a little bit of a mixture of the two to be honest with you I mean you talk to HR people sharing employee relations stories but uh, yeah um it came opportunity came up with them um you know went for it and I got it and then started off you know doing you know it's traditional HR tasks like CVs and writing application letters and then it gradually kind of got exposed to more other activities like helping out with employee relations issues so we used to have an employee relations hotline where store managers would ring up and um, ask questions and for support um, you know and we would give them responses um, you know, uh, you know, would help them and in, in, in advise them on how to potentially resolve the issues they had. Um, and then a bit later, a role in reward came up and being a bit of a, a geek with character as a previous recruiter has once referred to me and the, the labels kind of stuck. Geek with character. Of, okay. Yeah. Um, <laughs> That's, yeah. That's kind of a compliment. Yeah, it is. I mean, uh, the term of geek or nerd, I think is a term of endearment nowadays. Um, yeah. So I kind of just accept it now. So, you know, um, but yeah, so the uh, role in reward came up and I thought I was always interested in how companies determine how people are paid because it's such a sensitive issue and you know you know um creates lots of emotions and everything else um went for it and and got it and that was kind of my first foray into reward really um and then you've stayed in reward haven't you you've done a number of roles within reward that's kind of that's your specialism would you say now yes it is yeah I stayed in reward for them for a while and then I met my wife um in Bristol I was living in street at the time so I relocated to Bristol unfortunately that was during the financial crash so HR roles were um a bit like um you know were you know were hard to come by uh, Mm -hmm. during that time and then eventually, um, I got I, I found a role of all places working for a trade union, um, being a full time official, which is, um, oh. was, yeah, which was working for the British Medical Association, um, you know, and that was being a full time official, so helping doctors and dentists, members of the union, with their employment um, related issues. Um, so was that an HR job or was that a trade union? It was working for the the trade union as a full-time official. So I would go with members to meetings with their employers and represent them. So um, working on, depending on who you talk to, I was either working on the light side or the dark side, you know, to kind of (laughs) Star Wars terminology there. Yes. But I mean, I I did that for three years. And I mean, the the learning curve was very high because, you know, the realm of doctors in the NHS is, 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 
I mean, their terms and conditions, you know, is, a, is an absolute mammoth and beast in all their policies and things. But the learning curve was high. But just the experience of, again, just positioning yourself on the reminding yourself that there is an element of the other side of the table. So when you are, you know, coming up with HR solutions and things, you do have to consider both sides equally. Um, and interestingly, when I did my Myers-Briggs profile um, a few years ago, on the T and the F, I am slightly more T than F. So um, because ultimately, you know, a business is a business and does have to, you know, survive and be in profit and all that kind of stuff. But you still have to consider the, the human component. So I like to think that my time in the union gave me it does give me that self-reflection and I can imagine if I'm coming up with like a reward solution, I can sit, I can visualize myself sat across the other side of the table and thinking, okay, so what would he be trying to pull apart in my argument or what is he not being transparent about? You know, you know, why is he, what's he hiding? Because ultimately I used to, you know, my opening discussion with a lot of employers was I'm, I'm here to obviously protect, you know, you know, I'm here to represent the member, but that, you know, that means that I'm making sure that you're doing your job properly. You yes. know, you're following your own pro policies and processes that you set in place. But um, holding them accountable, isn't it? Just, it's about being ethical and, and exactly. integrity. Yeah. yeah. And interestingly, working for the union, I was actually a union rep within the union itself. I was a GMB representative uh, who was a union for BN. Um, the BMA employees, which was, which again was interesting. It was almost ex union experience on top of union experience. So, so um, I've got a perception that you, can, I'm just going. You can challenge me here about union that that um, in terms of those sort of. Well, I mean, I have this perception where people do say that unions that maybe it's the dark side is that sometimes it's about being very um, dogmatic. Is that a very old fashioned way of being in the union? Or it, it is, yeah. And I mean, there are certainly, um, and I've met other people in other unions, and you know, they fit the stereotypical image of, you know, um, you know, people that are potentially there just to be obstructive. You know, for me, yeah, that's the perception, isn't it? For some, yeah. And, you know, and they, and what, again, I think a lot of people forget is the unions are there to represent their members. And a lot of the time, you know, there will be, you know, some unions that are out to get everything they can get. But a lot of the time they want to see, you know, fair, fair play. And if you're trying yeah. to purposely hide something from them, then why are you doing that? You know, and, you know, and, and pay transparency is a big thing for me is that if you cannot explain to them how you've come to a, like a reward decision on pay or whatever, mm -hmm. then they're quite rightly going to go, well, how, you know, how have you come to that? You know, why yeah. can't you tell me that? Why do you need to keep it a secret? And then it goes back to those, you know, age old um, examples of HR going into a darkened room and making decisions on things. You know, which, which makes people really cynical and, yeah. and makes the whole thing demotivational, doesn't it? When it, when especially yeah. in reward, when ideally that would be something that is a, a benefit or it's motivational. And and you know and and it was um it was very eye opening. But a lot of the, my colleagues who I work with took the same approach as me. A lot of them had come from HR roles or had been previously been solicitors or barristers or you know had other legal backgrounds. Um, you know, but the general approach is we are there to represent the member's interest to make sure that you're doing what you should be doing and not doing things that are you know untoward um you know um so it's actually about being a neutral kind of um yeah. advocate so, you, so i guess so you wouldn't um 
you you would maybe say that, that was that was a good role for you. What what made you leave that then? And um, what made me leave? I, I suppose at the time it was um, it was a solely home based role, so I was working from home like every day, um, you know. And what I like about HR, again, back from a Myers Briggs profile, I'm very heavily in E, so I get a lot of my energy from just sometimes just being around people, you mm-hmm. know, being able to bounce ideas off of each other, etc. And, you know, particularly like in current times, it's very difficult to have natural conversations where that kind of problem solving slash sharing of, um, you know, issues. The informal stuff that gets you thinking and creating new ideas. Yes. Tricky, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. Have you found Um, any way of managing to do that in the current circumstances? Not really, to be honest with you. No. Um, Again, um, working working part time in trying to... uh, handle a lot of meetings and things going on it is a challenge um you know I, I try not to overburden my wife with it because it's the last thing mm. she wants to hear about is is um is hr stuff after work um and me going into work mode sometimes as we put it but um i think we you know what i've tried to do recently is i've tried to go into the office at least once a week to kind of get that kind of i know there aren't people there necessarily but it just allows me to kind of have that kind of it's not at home i'm you know yes I'm, I'm at the office um you know and you know you do have to pick up the phone more which again does take time but it's not the same as when a, a um you know uh what they call you it bump a wa- into them at the coffee machine yeah coffee yeah. machine water cooler moment happens yeah. naturally so I yeah. think that's something that's really been lost during COVID is a lot of there potentially has been time saved but there's probably been an equal amount of time wasted because of you know those natural solutions that would have happened if you were in an office haven't been allowed yeah. to happen so yeah so that was the reason why I left just to come back to your original question because you wanted to be with people basically yes so yeah. I did yeah yeah so um, then you went back into in comp and bend so again you were more, so yeah. and you've been in I'm just looking at LinkedIn here um in terms of your you've, you've kind of that pattern's continued then hasn't it since it has. yeah. 2012 yeah and I've yeah and I've continued to kind of try and grow and move from you know um you know, company to you know, uh, you know, company company to do different things. Gradually, kind of get exposure to different things. You know, payroll, HR systems. Um, you know, a variety of things. Um, yeah, and and kind of because this is where my heart lies. Is where is in this activity. You know, in the area of re- you know of reward is kind of where. You know, I still feel that we do have a great deal of you know kind of leaps and bounds to make still um and that's kind of you know I so you still see us so what if if you were to so someone listening to this perhaps hasn't got their the generalist or they don't really understand what a, a specialist reward manager does how would you describe it i mean have, has it been broadly the same job in all the different places because actually for the benefits of of listeners you've been in in public sector you've been in in, in, in um, higher education you've been in private sector you've been in financial services and, and business so you've been and, and prior to that, although was, I'm not sure if it was reward, you're in the NHS as well. So um, how would you define the day job, if you like, or the expectations? Yeah, I mean, I found in a lot of uh, a lot of uh, my the companies where I've been, a, I've often been in a lone wolf role um, because most companies I've worked for haven't had obviously the luxury of having a large reward team to, to work yeah. in. So normally I've been a... Uh, you know uh, subject matter expert you know and in reward but I'm the only you know person undertaking that 
undertaking that activity so sometimes it can be a bit of a um not a lonely existence but you're kind of you might know what you're you know you're talking you. about for you know mm. pay benchmarking and job evaluation all that kind of you know all that kind of all that kind of stuff but you've kind of got to bring other people who maybe aren't so clued up on it along you know uh, you know along with you so that's one of the the challenges I also have found interestingly there's been a positive correlation between working in reward and also being the go-to person in your department of being the the geek with dealing with spreadsheet queries and um <laughs> you know if I had a pound for every time can I have a help with a, a vlookup statement or something like that that seems to be a staple it's, it's really funny you say that because I'm thinking yes. back to someone that I worked with really closely who's in reward and I've got to say she's one of the best people I've ever met on a spreadsheet as well <laughs> so, so it's got to be like a key competence if you're going to go down this specialism yeah it's you know you can't be afraid of you know data's data you know at the end of the day um you know, I've met a lot of people in reward who have, you know, differing skill sets. I mean, if, you know, you speak to some of my colleagues, both past and present, they'll tell you that, you know, um, a development area of mine is the ability to kind of, um, you know, you know, plan lots of things out into great detail. Um, because often, again, being the lone wolf, I've often just had to kind of react and do a lot of things in the now because they need to be done. And, you know, it might be, for example, that, you know, finance need a headcount report in a certain way, but your HR systems and payroll systems will not produce it in that way. So you often have to make and create solutions in between, you know, to do to take all the data and transform it and give it across. And, you know, I would say potentially that's not traditionally what a reward person has kind of is in the kind of typical job description of a reward person. That's yeah. not kind of Get, and just, then you'll end up being quite transactional again, I guess. Yes. So it goes, it goes back to if you've got the right data or analytics, then you can be more effective, as is the case with lots of roles, I suppose. Yes, exactly. Um, yeah. And, you know, and yes, I, I do enjoy that. But that's not shouldn't that's not mainly what the reward, you know, the, the reward you know person is, you know, is, is there to do. And also the other challenging thing can be, and I said this in the you know page on the CIPD website is, you have to be able to distance yourself from, you know, solutions. So you could be working with your colleagues and you could be having quite sensitive discussions relating to pay review, bonus discussions, um, share awards, LTIPs, all that kind of stuff that are really high level sensitive, you know, conversations, um, you know, and you, you know, you have to, you know, you know, there are times when it, you can talk about it and times when you can't, you know, mm. and you're, you're also going to see, you know, everybody, what they're paid and everything. And if you, if you look at salaries and you look at someone who's sat next to you and you're in reward and you start having a, you know, you feel particularly, you know, emotive about it for the wrong reasons, you know, um, subjective reasons, I should say, then mm. potentially reward isn't for you. You kind of have to be able to deal, look at stuff and almost take yourself out of the equation. And, uh, you yeah. know, and that is, some people can do it, you, you, you know, and you so the ability to distance yourself be yes. quite logical and factual and objective is is i mean i think you could argue that that's important in hr to different degrees anyway i suppose in terms of whether people's performance and other things like that but i can see that this it's particularly sensitive in yeah, this you, kind you, of role yeah you almost yeah you have to be even at the, it's almost you have to do it at the organization level because i've mm. i've worked with people that have you know maybe been you know hr you know hr representatives for different parts of the business and um you know they'll support like sales marketing it you know 
etc and sometimes you know you can perceive a little bit of an element of Stockholm syndrome where mm-hmm. they're ingrained into their customer areas and they're doing the best for their customers but then mm-hmm. you know in reward you have to take it a step back and you know they might say oh how am I meant to recruit someone for that salary and then you know you would say well have you tried recruiting for them yet you know you, yeah. you can't just have an arbitrary statement of you know that salary's you know not enough especially when you know you've gone away benchmarked it against you know survey data and all these you know quantifiable sources and yes you know it's you know as we say that job evaluation is not um it's not uh, scientific it's systematic um you know it's not a put value into column a you get an absolute volume in column b you know it's our educated you know uh, you know uh, look at the data you know which is better than just simply going well I think they should be paid this yeah so do, would you ever find yourself interacting with recruitment specialists then yes. for that so, purpose? Yes, yeah. I've, I've done that historically. So I've you know been asked to, you know, like benchmark a role or give us what we feel are good, you know, you know, even if it's for internal recruitment, for example, we might want to they might want to suggest, you know, if they're promoting someone from role A to role B, what, you know, what kind of increase should we give them, you know, um, and you know, and we, and how I've seen the role historically is is that it's been a centre of excellence. So I will give you the value and the range depending on what the organisation's pay policies are, and then you know if you do anything you know outside of that, because sometimes the pay range is a guideline and not an absolute minimum maximum in some organisations that the manager or the um, recruiting manager or whoever or recruitment person needs to justify why they have gone outside of that. Yeah. You know, and then you might be asked to provide a contrapoint is to say, you know, I don't, you know, the range is accurate. The data, you know, was refreshed, you know, in July. It's, re- it's re- relative of a thousand respondents, you know, so statistically it ticks all the right boxes. But, you know, ultimately uh, I do understand and I think reward people need to understand sometimes businesses do have to make a commercial decision that doesn't necessarily match with all the benchmarking, you know, site you know this the work that you may have undertaken you know i mean i've been in an organization before where you've done all the you know the bonus and pay benchmarking and then you know you know the ca might talk to you and just say right i just want to give one percent to everybody yeah you know in all that work you've done so what's the point yeah you just you just have to go yeah well that's a commercial decision the business has made i've still done my due diligence the center of excellence to provide the business with the market you know, statistical and um, economic data it needs to make certain decisions. But ultimately, you know, I don't, I'm not here to make the decision. It's like a advisor, um, you know, slash, you know, advisor slash expert role. Absolutely. You provide the information, but you can't make the decision. Yeah, I think it's Ulrich's model. You'll have to forgive my knowledge on some of these things, but I think that's the Ulrich model of how, so that's traditionally how I've kind of operated in reward, in the reward sphere. So, um, I mean, what I'm hearing is that it's quite, uh, you might be doing things like job evaluation, you might be doing quite a lot of benchmarking. Um, mm-hmm. you, you've got to be tech savvy, numbers savvy, ob- and highly logical and objective um, in, in terms of things, in, in terms of the role, the, the sort of skills that you've come across. Do you, do you ever find yourself getting involved in, say, setting reward strategy um, or actually driving, say, putting in a performance-related pay or, or taking one out or anything like yes. that? Yes. So, yeah, I mean, I've, I've, I've then, again, in a number of my roles had to suggest to the business what I think, you know, or some propose, multiple proposals, for example, what the pay review should be, 
you know, even making changes to bonus schemes, um, you know, it, you know, and setting what we should be paying people, you know, because, mm. you know, it, uh, you know, I use pay benchmarking as an example, you know, you can, you can pay bench, you can pay benchmark a role, you can do it via a range, or you can do it, you know, at a more broader level, and each one has its pros, you know, each one has its, you know, pros and cons, um, you know, and then, you know, it, but, and then could have a commercial impact, you know, on the other, you know, say, for example, if you benchmark at a role level, um, and then you suddenly find that, there's been a significant shift in the salary data. You could find someone who's maybe that was happily within their pay range and suddenly now appears to be massively overpaid. So what do you do in those scenarios at the pay review? You know, do you give them nothing and potentially upset, yeah. you know, some high performers, um, you know, who are, who potentially appear to be over the range or over market? Um, or do you, you know, you give them the cash equivalent, so they are getting something, but they're not getting an increase to their base. So yeah, you kind of sort of solutions. Yeah. Do you have then, a, um, oh, sorry, go on, Karen. I was just going to say that, you know, and again, in another role, you know, very much had to, where the, the workforce was heavily unionized, you would have to propose, you know, adjustments where, you know, if there was a shift change that, um, you know, they're, in their terms and conditions stipulated that they got a position and an amount of their previous shift pattern, you know, how you would pitch that as an idea to make sure it was fair, equitable, you know, the methodology you've used is transparent um, and you've used, you know, reference values. You haven't just gone off, oh, yeah, I've, I've put a one there just because I feel it's a one. Yeah, no, it's I've put your experience one, having been in in the uh, on the dark side, but it must be coming quite handy though there as well. So you've yeah, got you know what's required. Exactly, you know I can say to them, you know, I mean, I've I been did in your shoes. Yeah, I did laugh once when you know I, I sat across the table from a union person, and they were pr- proposing a pay increase based on a, a survey data sample of one. Um, and it's a bit like on the TV when you see adverts and they say yeah. you know, based on a sample of 63 people when you think, well, how is that representative of, you know, 65 or 70 million people in the country? You know, so mm. it's uh, you've got to be honest about where it's coming from and have that, you know, if I'm saying it's 2 percent, I can say, well, I've picked that because, you know, the Department of National Statistics has given me this or you know, the Economic Institute has given me this or the Institute of Physical Studies has given me this, you know, and you're trying to collate all of that data together to come to a reasonable or, you know, a, a reasonably objective based decision using some factual data, not just going, I think we should just pay 1% pay increase this year because, you know, hey, 1%. Um, but also it's challenging it back to the business. So, you know, I've been asked before about to challenge, you know, the 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 spend on a one percent increase. So, of course, not only do you have to consider the the pay increase, you have to consider the increase to pension, the increase to NI, um, yeah. you know, everything else that kind of you know is a you know that kind of. So comes again, on. having that eye on the bigger picture, always absolutely, you've got to be able to yeah. So operating in the best interests of the business again. It, in terms exactly. Of so you know, not getting to the end of the year and you know trying to do the bonus payment to find out suddenly you haven't accrued for thirteen point eight percent. You know, <laughs> the employer's national insurance. Um, you know, uh, you know, I've read some horror stories about that. You know, it's you you kind of need to have peered with your finance peers to make sure you're all talking the same language yeah um you know and that can be a challenge because you know 
the world of accounting and the world of HR, you know, are mutually excuse, exclusive. They kind of <laughs> don't tend to want to. But again, you must overlap work. more than many in your role. I'd have thought to be able to have that sort of link. You see that that linking into budgeting. Mm. And you have to, you know, that's commerciality of improving yes. your commercial um, appeal, not appeal, your commercial reputation with the business. It's if you say, you know, you've already sat down with the financial planning manager or the payroll manager or whoever, you know, and they've got all that buy-in already and they've put their feedback in, then you've done half of the work for them for them because you've brought everyone else along the journey that you need you know, to get a rubber stamp from the CEO or, you know, for them to go away and consider it with shareholders or whoever it may be. Absolutely. Absolutely. And so the, I'll ask this one quickly because I want to make sure we've got time to go on to what you want to do next and things like that. But I'm just curious because um, of the things like performance related pay or bonuses, which is better. Have you got a view because you've been in a number of businesses? Is it about horses for courses in the organisations that you've been in? Or do you think that the world is moving towards one thing or, the, or another thing? Have you got I, I, an opinion? Yeah, I do. I mean, essentially, I think a lot of organisations need to kind of even shelve that idea to start off with and even go right back to the fundamentals of pay transparency. Um, you know, most organisations, you still see horror stories of organisations who are still not communicating even how they benchmark salaries and, you know, how they determine pay is fair and equitable in the first place. You know, I use the example of, um, you know, you could be a, um, you know, a rocket scientist driving a bus, but, you know, you're not necessarily going to pay. And yeah, a, rocket scientist rates. Yeah, because <laughs> yeah. they're driving the bus and the market, mm-hmm. the, you know, whether we like it or not, the market will always dictate the value of a role, but not necessarily the value of the person and knowledge, skills of experience they bring along. And I still think we in reward have a lot to do in that sphere to kind of uh, be open about that. I mean, you know, I talk to people about it time blue in the face, you know, in that we all can go, well, I think I'm worth this in the market and I think I'm worth this, you know, and there's, that's great if you have a objective view of what you're worth, but you need to have an objective view of what the market, you know, yeah, going what the market to, pay. Wants to pay. And I think we need to do that before First. we start. Yeah. Because I see all this lovely other stuff about the, um, what is it? The hygiene in the is it motivation? I forget in the Hertz. Oh, well, hygiene factors is that salary stuff. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So I think there's there's some hygiene. Well, they say the salaries stuff. only increase you for no. There's the sort of thing that hygiene factors where we're only motivated for a short period of time, which is a yeah. pay rise. Whereas actually, um, the way in which we're managed and the behaviours that our managers demonstrate are much more long term motivational. But we moan more about the hygiene factors. Yeah, we do. And those what's create the most amount of noise. You know, you give someone a pay increase today and they've forgotten about it tomorrow. Um, but actually, yeah. if I can. If I can reiterate to you every year that, you know, person X, you know, we do benchmark your role, you know, annually using the market data that's collected from employers of similar sizes and what they pay and, you know, at the base rate and all this kind of stuff. You know, how do you manage to get that data? Is there there a way that is there an easy way for people out there listening, thinking I need to benchmark out? How how would you recommend someone goes about doing yeah, that? Yeah, I mean, um, I've seen a couple of videos on YouTube, and I think this is where some of the sphere of, of particularly HR in the UK is lacking. I mean, YouTube is a fantastic source of information. I think some of the bigger survey providers like Towers Watson and Hay have put on there, like, for example, how they would do, you know, or how they do their, use their pay benchmarking methodology. But there's much, you know, obviously those are big ticket survey houses that have existed for a long time, particularly 
you know, Hay, I think he was considered the grandfather of, you know, job evaluation systems. But there's other ones that are like salary and expert HR. And again, full disclosure, I'm not paid by any of these companies to dictate <laughs> yeah. them. I'm just reiterating. That's where you get the data. The so the data's out there yes. if they want to get it. Do you yes. have to pay for that data? Or is you it, do. Yeah. I mean, like a lot of things, if you want the qualitative data and you want mm-hmm. the reassurance that the, the data methodology of collecting the data that has been audited, because, you know, when we do a pay benchmarking exercise and salary survey, you don't send the data off and that's it. The survey house or company will look at what you've provided to look for any potential errors. So you want that reassurance that you're paying for a quality product. Um, you know, there's nothing wrong with free sources, but you know, you, you do have, you can draw questions about whether or not they are, you know, you know, fully accurate. So, I mean, yeah. I would say to anybody, Get if you did have to do it, for it, budget for you, it. You, you know, and that's the rationale to your, you know, CEO, mm-hmm. you know, but also, but even before you go with that, you need to go back and take a step back, like you said earlier, about your pay strategy, about where are you looking to get the data from? You know, do you need it from a dedicated you know, uh, IT salary survey source because you're more of an IT business. Or actually, if you're more of a business that's got lots of different roles in sales, marketing, etc., um, you know, you might want a more of a broader scope. Um, you know, do you need a global scope? Is it just the UK? You know, there's lots of factors you can go into, and you know, they range from being quite, you know, you know, you know, the price is the price at the end of the day, and you yeah. have to remember that whatever you do, you should look to repeat at least in some sort of you know pre-agreed cycle of you know three to five years, so that you can do pay benchmarking consistently. You know, when you're doing your reward strategy of pay increases on an annual basis, because otherwise, what you found is you may have benchmarked one way one year with one salary survey source. And then the next year, you've done it a completely different way. And you're then going to have to re-justify why you've used a different methodology for your pay benchmarking. So So um, it's very much about fairness. Again, your sort of whole principle here is about fairness and transparency. You start with benchmarking. And then in your experience, if you were to look at the different approaches that people might look for reward, whether it is incremental pay, it's performance-related pay, it's bonuses, um, I don't know what else. Is there something else out there? Have you got a broad opinion on which are the most effective or which would you steer away from at all costs? Yeah, I mean, performance related pay is it, it can be great, but it it's underpinned by your performance methodology. Yeah. Um, again, I've seen lots of examples, particularly, in, you know, in some, you know, employment tribunal cases where, you know, the discretion of performance related pay slash bonuses is put at the manager level you know, and without oversight, I think I'll use that term, or guidance mm-hmm. perhaps is a better term from, you know, people and looking. Things like calibration or moderation. Correct, exactly. Yeah. You know, you mm-hmm. do have to look at, you know, have you, you know, even just, you know, when you're making a decision, you know, and you've, you know, have you, you know, steer towards, you know, giving, you know, your women more or your men more, you know, and is that just happened by, you know, accident or, you know, have you done that, you know, the HR should challenge back and go, you know, well, you've got six people on the same role there and, you know, actually um, you've given the men more than the women. Why have you done that? Do you even know that you've done that? You know, yeah. and so for me, it's performance related pay can be great and performance related bonuses can be great provided the significant level of oversight is there to make sure that the transparency is there that they are they are awarded differently for the right reasons on merit and genuine performance rather than you know I know you know I know my manager I go 
you know, yeah. bowling with him to the pub or whatever. Or I'm sad he's, or I'm sad he's gonna leave, they're going to leave if I don't give them. It's actually got to be exactly. Quite, and, and you yeah. hear that from time and time mm. again. Of if I don't give person X this, they're going to leave. Um, I developed a little bit of a a curve, which basically tried to plot someone's statistical likelihood of leaving. I think a lot of companies are doing this with AI nowadays, but this was a few years ago, where if you took into a factor of, you know, how people are close to the office and, um, you know, proximity, commuting distance, where they are in their pay range, how long they've been in the company, how long they've been in their current position. If you take all those factors into, you know, for someone genuinely to move to another company, given if they've been there for like 10 years you know genuinely that's going to they've ultimately they have become a bit um you know intertwined into that so for them to up and leave statistically could be less you know in terms of the the, managers than the fear of the manager about the the manager's fear but it still isn't the right reason i know it's not absolutely fairness is it so i mean i i think it's interesting because i i'm because we talked earlier about what your plans are next and one of the things you mentioned in passing didn't you that you work part-time because actually you also are sort of primary carer or you 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 your your wife is primary breadwinner isn't she so you um, yes look after your little one so very forward thinking in that respect um and what what I was going to um, ask you, we were talking about what you might want to do next, and you're almost leading on to that. Yeah, I can hear you've got a, a passion about it. Do you want to talk about where you think yeah, it's going I mean, and what you want to I think to what I would about? like to do, I mean, um, again, probably revealing my, some of my ideas for someone to swoop in and steal away, but again, happy mm-hmm. to collaborate with, you know, with people on ideas. Again, you know, I often, you know, comment on the LinkedIn forums on various things, because I think that's ultimately what we're all about is that, you know, the HR book isn't, isn't set in stone it's one that's from our you can go to university and study it for three years but actually you know when you get out into the big wide world you might not find the exact example in the textbook that exists out there so collaboration and it's, and it's all context specific as well exactly isn't it? yes you know mm. in what works in one organization won't work in another you know and it's and that's that's acquired by wisdom and obviously the application of your um knowledge so for me it's where I'd like to go now is I'd like to start kind of expanding out and you know discussing some of these things you know more um you know in the kind of new um tech sphere I think you know maybe consider starting a you know a a YouTube channel to discuss some of these points again give them greater Mm. exposure Mm. I mean I see lots of articles that's why I think with your podcast you know fantastic idea it's new media you know, you give me an article on a website with, you know, and it's pages and pages of text and it's an instant kind of I've lost interest for me because that's not my learning style. I will learn and I will absorb based on, you know, um, you know, what I read and watch. Uh, sorry, what I watch and listen to, beg your pardon. Um, yes. And, and so, be able to do it when you want to as well, isn't it? Availability yeah. of things too. Exactly. You know, and, I, you know, I've watched some webinars on particular activities and, you know, you know, job evaluation, benchmarking. Um, you know Hay did a really good one on you know looking at you know the underlying behind the gender pay gap and stuff and I find that much much more informative mm-hmm. I'd like to do a bit more on that but the other area I'd really like to touch in upon is you know again for being the reward person in geek if you like the, the lone wolf doing the techie you're often asked to produce stats on labor turnover and um 
recruitment costs you know and such the like and you know the labor turnover comes with a well so what you know what are you looking to you know most people will pedal around 18 and 16 percent but you know what does that really mean you know it's, it's we're still i think in statistics for hr still locked in this older way of doing it and we need to look to the future of you know being much more better with all this data that we sit on and how we can kind of best present that in a way that HR people can understand. Um, and I like to think I've got analytical in... skills are coming to the fore, aren't they? I mean, that's, yes. I think that's some of the things that um, I was involved in a CIPD assessment yesterday, and that's one of the new ones, isn't it, that's been brought through. And that's very much come through from what you're saying and the way in which if we're going to use AI or tech and bring value, that's that aspect um, is, is important to have yeah, in we... the profession. And we can't continue to do the things the way that we've done them. Um, you know, I mean, there's a example going on in the video game sphere at the moment where people, where some people have um, have not been happy with what the CEO's being paid. And it, this is all public knowledge and in the sphere at the moment. And they've been sharing a spreadsheet to collect all their pay. You know, so you would argue there that you know their pay transparency um, approach, if they have even a you know a pay strategy for pay transparency, a pay benchmarking, hasn't worked particularly well there. So it's I'm not kind sure of about I, their, their um, confidentiality. Either. Yes, exactly. <laughs> well, now the spreadsheet the spreadsheets become public. So I read yeah, in a story it's a recently. Awkward. Yeah, um, you know, and you know that's a realm of my personal interest. You know, video games, and you know, the, my subject of reward is now entered into that. You know, entered into that sphere. So I think for me, there's a piece around. I'd like to kind of you know expand on how I can maybe help you know other maybe smaller employers you know perhaps meaning maybe small to mid mid-size even larger ones you know with bringing my kind of um approach to it which is kind of ultimate you know well I say ultimate transparency but ultimate transparency around your methodology um yes. I'm not a real proponent in the whole well I think I should be able to see your salary and you should be able to see my salary yet I don't think the 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 emotional intelligence is there behind how we make salary decisions is widely understood i think we need to achieve that first before you can move to you know you can see my salary and i can see yours so we don't make the you know well my job's the same as yours and that's based on just an assumption rather than a you know we've benchmarked it and job evaluated it and all that kind of stuff sort of full circle there isn't it back to the practicalities and the logic and objectivity yes. and I suppose in terms of um in terms of wrapping this up um appropriately and you said you were happy for people to link you are so listeners who are already on the HR uprising um group then Daniel's in there anyway so link in with your bell to easily find him there but we'll put your LinkedIn details on the show notes so um there might be people who might want to reach out to you informally to have a chat and you never know what you know if you end up doing more independently in the future obviously you're in a full-time well part-time um, employment at the moment but you are employed at the moment um you know but there's nothing to stop us from collaborating from whatever position we're in absolutely guess, so. yeah. more than happy for anybody to you know reach out and you know and, and chat obviously availability um permitting uh, yes. yes not doing this the school well there is no school run at the moment but um no, you it's know, not long before there will be yes it will be we're always yeah. there um, by the yes. time this goes out we'll be right on the window of back to school but yeah i'm um, again i mean for me hr is all about that um collaboration of ideas whether some of them are you know good or bad or whatever is uh, you know we are ultimately here to all achieve the same 
the same thing. So yeah, more than happy people to reach out if they want to read a bit more. Um, the CIPD have got, um, I, I'm on there as a day in the life of a reward analyst. Oh, great. Um, right. well, can we put the link? You can pop the um, link put the in link there. there. Yeah, there again, that's well. publicly right. publicly visible. Um, yeah, again, more than happy for that. anybody to reach out, collaborate, chat, you know, discuss anything reward related or um, as some people have asked me about, you know, what does a, what would a union do in this example of can I put my union hat on for five minutes? You know, um, you know, I've had a few of those before. Sounds but... like there's plenty you can offer there. Yeah. Daniel, thank you so much for coming on the HR Uprising. I've, I've learned a lot about a role that I've worked with people in this domain for some time, but I now understand a lot more about what the job would be. And obviously, if there's someone listening out there, they'll be either going that sounds perfect for me or that doesn't. Um, so I think that's incredibly helpful. Um, really appreciate your time. I appreciate you having me on. I, I really enjoyed it. And it's nice, again, nice to share it wider with with um, the wider audience. So I look forward to hearing more uh, stories as they come on. So Yes, we're definitely going to carry on the series. It's, it's, uh, it's really nice to um, to get those stories going. Thanks, Daniel. Thank you. Thank you for listening to the HR Uprising podcast. You can access more information, including resources or links mentioned in the show at our website, www.hruprising.com. Also, you might want to join our LinkedIn community or tweet to us at HR Uprising. We'd love to hear from you.